campus pastor with RUF. Uh, we are a Christian ministry uh, for New Mexico State at New Mexico State. We are really, we are really intentional about actually being on campus. We want to be a, a ministry for the students on campus, uh, even when there's not a lot of campus to be on right now. We're still really intentional about that. And part of that is um, moving tons of stuff. Um, these lights don't set themselves up. The sound doesn't set themselves up. So I just want to say especially um, thank you to those of you who uh, meet early and set stuff up. So that's Lucas, Ryan, Connor, Micah's every week, and all the other ones, uh, the music team. So if you get a chance, thank them. If you are in any way... Um, encouraged or, or, or uh, this is good for you, they play a huge part in that. So guys, I'm really, I'm really grateful for each of you, your friends, and it's good to have you. Um, so everyone else, um, it's really, it's good to be with you tonight, uh, and I hope, I hope you've had a good week. I know I've had a really tiring week. Uh, I was a, my wife was out of town this week, so I was being a dad and a pastor and a, I don't know, everything else I try to do. So, um, by myself. So, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's Thursday night. Um, so part of what we do in RUF is we want to uh, study the Bible. We think the Bible is not just a really old good book, but actually God's word for us uh, and to us, and that it, uh, it speaks to what you and I experience in our Christian life in a really incredible uh, and, and uh, timely way. And so this semester, um, we're working through the book of Acts, uh, so maybe you, uh, you've heard of that book before. It's a book that was written 2,000 years ago to talk about and describe what the first Christian uh, experience was like, the first followers of Jesus. And uh, even though it's 2,000 years old, it's actually still so amazingly applicable to what we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and as those who are searching in spirituality and faith, what we encounter today um, it's, it's pretty incredible, actually. So we're going to keep looking at that tonight. Uh, last week, if you were with us, um, we saw that the church was, had been growing just exponentially. People were added day in, day out who were Christians. And then last week, we begin to see some opposition, or the, the church encounters things that are, that are making it hard. And that's the, in the form, last week, it was in the form of external opposition, that religious and uh, political authorities were beginning to put pressure on the Christians and telling them, hey, you're messing up the status quo, you need to stop. And uh, the church uh, grew through that. This week, we're going to actually start looking at some problems inside the church. Oppositions, problems inside the church. Uh, and, and, and how even in the midst of uh, problems between Christians... God is faithful to his people, and the church can grow through that, how that was true then and how it was true now. So um, one of the things as I talk with students uh, a lot, as I talk with particularly students who are not Christians or who are questioning their faith or have questions about spirituality, one of the most consistent complaints, and I know this is true for some of you here even, is to say, what do we do when Christians are hypocrites? What do we do when uh, people who say they follow Jesus uh, in their actions do things that are really deplorable, are really, you know, really terrible? What do we do about that? In fact, when I was growing up, there was this music group. I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to date myself here. There was this music group called DC Talk. Any DC Talk fans? Yeah. The other millennial. Uh, 
everyone else is like, you old. Anyways, they were kind of like a fusion between R&B and hip hop. And they had a song that, that would open like this. It would said, the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And, uh, you know, people who acknowledge faith, religion, spirituality with their lips and then go out and live in a way that's totally contrary to that, deny it with their lifestyle, um, that just is it's unbelievable. You look at that and you say, how can people who are following Jesus of the Bible do this? And that's something that I think we can all relate to, right? Of experiencing being on the, the sharp, pointy end of Christians who do really terrible, deplorable things. We've all been at that. Maybe it was a parent. Uh, maybe it was a, a friend. Maybe even a pastor. Uh, and and here's, here's what's amazing is that that is not a new problem. That's been something that's been happening, happening among Christians, people who follow Jesus from the very beginning. That's the good news. The even better news is that despite that, despite Christians' failures, despite the church's problems, God is faithful to his church. And, and what we're going to look at tonight, what piece of scripture we're going to look at tonight shows that super clearly. And so I'm going to read this piece of scripture uh, and then we'll look at it. If you have questions, if you're like, what in the world are you talking about? We're going to talk about some hard stuff this evening. Shoot me a text uh, and then we, I will dialogue with those texts um, afterwards. And actually, Deborah is going to come up and dialogue with me on those texts as well. Um, so let me read this uh, piece of the Bible and we'll look at it. So this is Acts chapter 5. But a, named, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. For while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? But after it was sold, was, not it, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon those who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon those who heard these things. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the apostles by the hands among the by, sorry, among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together at Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, 
so that they even carried out their sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they all were healed. Let me pray. Lord in heaven, uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit who is working to gather us together, each of us from across New Mexico, across the country, uh, and uh, that we're here in a grassy hill at New Mexico State in 2021. That is not an accident. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this scripture tonight, that your Holy Spirit would continue to work and that you would be glorified in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so obviously heavy stuff going on in this passage. People are dying. It's always heavy. So uh, what's going on here? What is going on in this passage? Well, uh, there's a lot happening here. The big thing that we're going to look at overall is that despite when Christians really mess up, God is faithful to his people and to his church. But first, we have to look at Christians messing up, right? And so the first thing I want to look at is the hypocrisy going on inside the church, right? So what's going on in this story? Well, just prior to what had happened, before the first verse that we read, um, the church is growing like absolutely out of control, right? And part of what they're doing in their growth is they're having incredible financial generosity. People are just like, man, we are so in board with what, on board with what this community of people is doing that they're selling all their possessions and they're just having radical generosity and they're giving all their stuff away. Just crazy generosity, tons of charity, tons of care for the poor, tons of uh, amazing things happening here. And uh, the church is really growing, and it's this really rosy picture. And then this happens, right? The very next thing that happens is in the midst of this amazing justice and mercy and charity, this one dude and his wife say, hey, we have an idea on how we could actually, well, they say, here's what we're going to do. So they take a piece of land, and they sell it. And they take the profit, they take the proceeds from it, and they give it to the church. Uh, like everyone else is doing. But here's what's important. They only give part of the profit, and they keep some of it themselves. Now, that's not wrong in and of itself. As Peter says, we'll talk about that in a second. But what's wrong is that they kept back, or they, uh, they basically lied about how much they gave. And in verse 2, it says, he, he and his, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. And that word kept back is not quite strong enough. In the original language, that's the word, that word literally means they stole. They stole and they lied, right? So what they're doing is they are, they're, they're, they're lying and they're stealing apart back. It's like this, if we were to sell a piece of land for $1,000 and come and give $500 to charity and say that we sold it for $500, when it's a lie, we actually sold it for, for $1,000. And Peter comes down on them so hard. In verse 3, he says, you lied not just to me and to human beings, but you're lying to God. And because of that lie... Both of them, eventually in time, both of them, God, it very, the text is very clear, God strikes them down and they die. They die and they're buried and it's very unceremonial. It's a, and you're just like, whoa, what just happened? How in the world is that fair? How, I mean, 
what? That just seems, you know, some of us might think this is extreme. This is, this is too much. Death is over the top. That's actually pretty cruel of God. How can he do that to them? But think with me of what they're doing here. Think with me what's going on. They're lying, but not just to the church. They're lying to God, but they're putting on a front of piety and compassion. They're looking at what all these other Christians who are doing, who are, who are putting out this radical generosity, and they're like, hey, people see them, and they're like, wow, look how compassionate and pious they are. We, wanna, we want people to think of us that way. But you know what we also want? Some of the money. So they're basically, what they're saying is, hey, we, wanna, we want people to think we care about the poor, but we want to keep the money at the same time. They're saying, hey, we care about the poor and we want to give money, but their actions are communicating, we actually want to hold, we want to hold it back. They don't actually care about the poor, they care about what people think of them. They're saying, we want everyone to like us, we want everyone to think that we're holy. They want the credit without all the sacrifice. They want the reputation without the cost and in front of other Christians. I mean, and what is that? They're saying one thing and they're doing another. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. And there's nothing that makes us in our culture today more frustrated and more angry than hypocrisy, right? Whenever anybody says one thing and does another, our culture, what does it do? It cancels them. Because, and we're almost, in some ways, we're right to cancel them in this. Because we say, hey, your words and actions should be consistent. There should be agreement between what you say and what we do. And so they're hypocrites before the church leaders, but more importantly to God. And that's a big deal. Another way is think of it this way. They are at worst. They are the worst form of capitalistic greed, right? They're the worst form of capitalistic greed. I'm not, a, I'm not an anti-capitalist. In fact, I think there's some really good things about a free market system when it's done right. But I am very opposed, and the Bible is very opposed, to using the wealth, creation of wealth through lying, cheating, and stealing. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira are hearing. They're putting on the face of religion and of spirituality, but they're actually worshiping and valuing money more than other human beings. More than even God. And, and, and Christians do this all, all the time. Even today. It's a massive problem. It's one of the main reasons why people don't like Christians today. is because they're, we, see, we see them as greedy. You see them as, as manipulative, hypocritical greed. If you're still not convinced, think about it this way. Think of all the scandals that are happening in the church today in our lives. Think about all the scandals that are happening in both the Catholic and the Christian or the Protestant church around sexual abuse. Where Christian men often are saying one thing to appear pious and moral, and yet they'll go and do something very different. They'll lie, they'll manipulate, they will abuse in secret. And we as a culture are sort of coming to this point where we're realizing this is so wrong, this is unsustainable, this cannot stand, this, there, there has to be some justice, there has to be punishment for this. And it's a major source of compromised witness in the church today. People look at the church and they say, I don't want to be a part of an organization that allows or protects this sort of hypocrisy, this sort of abuse, this sort of lying. 
And so I think when we think about it, this, this is, it's not an extreme response here. This is actually a very just response. It's actually quite fair. Yes, they die, but what this communicates to us is that God values justice. God values that our words and our actions align. He doesn't want his people, his church, to be hypocrites. Now, that's true in the big things, but it's also true in the small things. Let me turn the lens on my own heart, on your heart. This is not just a problem in the big headline issues. It's true for you and me as well, right? That we, we must be careful not to just point the, the finger at the people in the headlines and say, look at those hypocr hypocritical Christians. That greed or that sex scandal. Because if I'm honest, I'm confident that there is someone out there who has said, you know what, I can't do anything with the church. I don't want to have anything to do with Christians because of Jonathan. Because he did, he said this and he did that. And I don't want to have anything to do with the Christian faith because of that. Maybe that's some of you. There was a Christian who did something to you. Or maybe the, in its hard points where you can say, yeah, I was inconsistent. I said one thing and I did another. All of us many times have done things that, that have compromised our witness as Christians. And if you're here tonight and you don't know what you think about Christianity or, or Christian faith because of the hypocrisy of Christians, let me say this as a Christian pastor. I'm sorry. And you probably have a point. There's probably some truth to your frustrations. And I'd love to hear what you're thinking about that, what you're experiencing. We should all recognize that in smaller and in bigger ways that that this is a problem that we are Ananias and Sapphira. That we are quick to acknowledge Jesus with our lips and yet deny him in our lives. Now, that's the problem. Where does God in his grace and his mercy provide for and overcome this problem inside the community of Christians? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, I think there's... First of all, what we need to do is we need to, we need to recognize that there's a place for healthy fear in the, in the community of Christians. Twice in this, twice in this, in verse 5, and then in also in verse 11, it says that the, the community has great fear. Over and over, the Bible tells us that our sin is greater than we think, that you and I are, are probably more rebellious than we realize. That we are more capable of tricking ourselves and of falling into hypocrisy than we maybe think. And there's a warning here for, for, for you and me, for those of us who are Christians, to be tenacious about examining and weeding out in our hearts and our actions the places of hypocrisy. It means that if there's a place in your heart where you see where there's consistent and unrepentant sin that we should seriously consider God's justice. And at the same time, I want to be very clear here. I don't want to beat you up with this. You don't stumble into this kind of sin, right? This Ananias and Sapphira, they knew exactly what they were doing, right? The text is very clear. Verse 2, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back, or he stole for himself some of the proceeds. They knew what they were doing. Verse 8, Peter asks, did you sell it for so much? And she says, very blatantly lying. Yes, for so much. 
They knew exactly what they were doing. So this is, this is not just something like where you stumble into or fall into this sort of justice. No, this is, this is a consistent, egregious hypocrisy. This is when you know what is true and yet you intentionally do the opposite. You don't stumble into this. God is a loving father. Over and over again, the Bible presents God as a loving father who cares for us like a good and loving father. Some of you have not had experiences with a good and loving father. Let the God of the Bible begin to reshape your conception of a good and loving father. So if there's a child who is sneaking out at night to go get drunk and high and do things that are damaging to himself, a good father will come down on him fairly hard and say, for your own sake, I, I'm punishing you because I want to protect you from yourself. But if there's a child like my daughter who maybe hits me in the face in her anger but is still little and doesn't know better, my daughter's only two, I'm not going to punish her cruelly for something that she's still learning. But I'm going to correct her gently. I'm going to cuddle with her. I'm going to say, no, you don't hit daddy. That's how God is with us in the places when we are repentant and sorry. He's a... He is a gentle and good father to us. So hear me say clearly that God demands holiness of us, but yet he does not cruelly punish us. You do not stumble or fall into this. It's the consistent lifelong actions of unrepentant sin that God punishes. Second thing here, I think what is important to see here is the importance of church discipline. Church discipline, watch this, this is a super loaded idea, and some of you may be like, what in the world is church discipline? Well, church discipline is God's means of giving spiritual leaders the authority to shepherd and protect and guide the people of God, and even to protect them from themselves. The church, the community of Christians, is called to protect the purity and the peace of and the witness of Christians and the church, the church exists to welcome everyone, to say, hey, come as you are, broken, sinful, hurting, sad. Come to the cross as we sang, let the, the blood of Jesus wash away your brokenness. And the church exists to say, if you are in consistent, unrepentant sin, please turn from that. The church has the responsibility to discipline. And this means this, that if you're in a church that doesn't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, ask the church that you go to, what, how do you protect us from ourselves? How do you protect us from, from hypocrites? Do you have places that, and I'm not talking about spiritual abuse. I'm not talking about churches that are just throwing around their power to hurt people. And, and if you're like, I don't know what that means, come talk to me or text me. I'm saying the church has things that will protect us from hypocrisy, protect us from abuse, protect us from lying and stealing. If you have questions about that, text me. I'm happy, Deborah and I are happy to talk about it. So this is heavy stuff, right? It's heavy stuff. Where is the gospel? Where is the good news of God's grace present in this? Well, I think it's, I think it's present. It's, it's, it's here. The good news in this is that the Holy Spirit is at work even despite Christians' hypocrisy, even when the church compromises itself, even when Christians, even when people like you and me are hypocrites, God is faithful to Christians and to his church. Look at verse 12. 
Well, verse 11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church, upon all was heard in these things. If it just stopped there, we would be left terrified. We would be left saying, how can I possibly be a Christian? But the next verse says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the, apostles by the, among the people by the hands of the apostles. Verse 14 says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Right after this moment of, clean, of, of purifying the church, the Holy Spirit is right back to work. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, oh man, this group messed up, time to clean house and start over. No, the Holy Spirit begins immediately after this to knit together and to continue to heal and grow this community of Christians. And this story is, is bracketed. The beginning and the end of this story is God showing his love and grace and faithfulness and protection to this community of believers. At the beginning, it's this amazing story of generosity, of radical giving, of mercy and justice and compassion. And at the end, this is the amazing stories of God healing and caring for and protecting people who are physically, uh, physically injured, physically ill, is that the Holy Spirit, even when Christians are hypocrites, the Holy Spirit is faithful in and through the church. If you hear, hear me say anything tonight, hear me say this, that God is more faithful to his church than his church is faithful to him. God is more faithful to his church than his church is to him. And if you're in the church, that means God is more faithful to you than you are faithful to him, which is so free. Because that means that God's faithfulness to you is not dependent on whether or not you're a hypocrite. Think about that. That means that God loves you even when you are not perfectly consistent to him. That's grace right there. Grace is when God loves and cares and, and, and loves tenderly cares for you even when you do things that don't deserve his favor. God is caring for and providing for this church even when they don't deserve it. It does the same thing for you and for me. That's the grace of God at work in this. God is more faithful to his church than his church is to him. God is more faithful to you than you are to him. The church today does things that are regrettable, hypocritical, that compromise itself all the day today, all the time. It's tragic, really bad things. And in no way do I want to excuse or give a free pass to the manipulation and the abuse and the harm and the sadness that Christians can do. And God is in the business of working despite Christians' sin for his good, for our good, for our protection, for his kingdom, for his glory, growing and multiplying his followers. One of the most powerful examples of this I can think of comes from uh, this amazing scholar that I've had the, the, the privilege of reading his work. His name is Laman Sana. Uh, he's a Gambian scholar of Christianity, particularly African Christianity. He's one of the best F experts in the world. Well, he's, he's with Jesus now, but he was one of the best experts in the world on Christianity in Africa. Uh, literally like top three experts on this in this field. And, and one of his major scholarly projects was to, to consider how did colonialism interact with African missions in the 17th and 18th century, right? 
And he's not a fan of colonialism, right? For all of the reasons why colonialism was a really regrettable moment in, uh, in human history, right? All of the, the, the slavery and the abuse and the exploitation, et cetera. And he make, but even in the midst of that, he makes a really compelling case that despite all of the sin of colonialism, Christianity made major inroads into Western and Eastern Africa, not not, not, not in its Western form, its European form, but in a form that was truly African. And in one of his books, he says this. He says, this is going to be shocking to some of you, but text us and we can talk about it. He says, the West should get over its, Christian, its Christendom guilt complex about Christianity as colonization by accepting that Christianity has survived its European political habits and is thriving today in its post-Western phase among non-Western populations because somet sometimes because of and often despite Western missionaries. Did you hear what he said there? He says Christianity survives its political habits, which is the worst parts of colonialism, and thrived in non-Western populations, West and East Africa, even despite the great hypocrisy of European colonialists. Why? How is that possible? Well, Dr. Sana says it's because the Holy Spirit is more committed to the African church than even Western Christians are. That God can work in spite of Christian sin for the growth and protection of the church. Now, I'm not exclu excluding, sorry, I'm not excusing colonialism. It's, it's bad news in every way, but I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is faithful to his church in Africa more powerful than colonialism, more powerful than the sins of that two African churches. And that's really good news. That happens today all around the world. You can text me questions. I'm not an expert on African Christianity, but this is what Dr. Sana says. In Acts, the problem doesn't go away. In fact, it gets worse. Over and over again, we see Christians doing just terribly hypocritical things. And yet the Holy Spirit acts in spite of their sin. What do we take away from this tonight? First, I think we take away that the church, even as broken and as hypocritical it is, it's God's still chosen means to witness to the world. And that means people like you and me. Second, I think there's a warning here. It frees us to admit quickly that, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. I'm not perfect, and I have a great Savior. So we don't have to hide behind this veneer of trying to piece together our lives. No, we, if, if God is as gracious that he's more faithful to you than we are to him, then you can quickly say, yes, I am still a hypocrite. I'm still learning to follow Jesus. And we can run back to the blood of Christ, which covers up all of our brokenness. We can run to the fatherly care of a God who seeks to shape us into non-hypocritical people. Just like God is more faithful to you than you are to him. That's freeing news. And third, I think that the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is, as fa is more faithful to you than he is to me, then we can be confident that even when we sin, Jesus still loves us. Last night I was in my quattro, uh, and we were studying Galatians 2, and Peter the Apostle Peter, the same Peter of verse 3, he ends up doing something hypocritical. He ends up being very racist. And we, we'll look at that later on this semester. 
And, and, and he ends up saying and doing some things that are incredibly hypocritical. And yet Paul goes to him and says, Peter, you sinned, but your sin doesn't make you unloved by God. What makes you loved by God is that you are connected by, to Jesus by faith. That it's not by whether or not you follow your own rules or God's rules, but it's by trusting in Jesus. He says, you are justified, you are loved and valued to God, not based on what you do, but based on faith in Christ. That's God showing himself more faithful to Peter. That's God showing himself more faithful to you than you are to him. So when you cling to that, that gives you the power, it gives us the power to move into our own and others' hypocrisy, knowing that God is truly faithful, and he will be glorified even when his church can't possibly be as faithful. He is more faithful to you than you are faithful to him. That's good news. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, thanks for this hard text. It's a challenge, Lord. But in it we see that even when we mess up as a group of Christians, when we see other Christians doing things that are quite frankly terrible things, um, when we do things that we wish we hadn't done, we can run back to the truth and the hope that you are more faithful than we are and that you are more at work than we can be. Help that be true of me. Help that be true of this community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.